0: on this Sunday where we celebrate Christ our King, you are invited to turn to your New Testament in the Pew Bible, marked page 963. It's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When they came to the place that is called the skull, They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him, saying, "'Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us.' But the other rebuked him, saying, "'Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Do you not?' And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It would be so much easier to unpack the last few episodes of the Netflix series about the British monarchy called The Crown entry tension power struggles family drama infidelity excessive wealth classism controversy secrets rumor has it the family isn't pleased with this season especially king charles but if you ask me except for the fact that the actor playing charles looks and acts nothing like king charles everything else is exactly what we would expect from a monarchy, even a pleasant, benign one. You can pick any of them, Alexander the Great, Augustus Caesar, Genghis Khan, Henry VIII, Elizabeth I, even King David. And for all of their power and dominance, for all of their influence and intelligence, for better or worse, they come and they go, they rise and they fall. And yes, of course, these days, the kings and the queens and the rulers of our lives are presidents and CEOs and hedge fund managers and politicians, celebrities, sports icons, YouTubers, musicians. Even if we scoff and we say, no, no, not me. I am the queen of my own castle. I am the master of my domain. I am the captain of my own ship. Well, the question remains. In all of their humanness, and and in all of our humanness, to whom do you pay tribute? To whom do you bow? Maybe she dwells on a balance sheet, or perhaps she lives in the memory of an aloof or overbearing parent, or a difficult childhood, or perhaps he dictates your schedule and the patterns of your life, or he demands loyalty and commitment at all costs. Sometimes you might even risk your own comfort and security on their behalf. Who or what rules your life? It would be easier to talk about Princess Anne and Peter Townsend and Princess Diana and Camilla Parker Bowles because, frankly, the rule in the reign of Christ does not really fit these days. 2,000 years later, and we still don't know what to expect with Jesus. 2,000 years later, we no longer have the time to read emails, much less the Bible. 2,000 years later, and we somehow forget to bend the knee to Jesus. And if we were to do that, that is a full endorsement of Jesus' entire agenda. And this is his agenda as he enters Jerusalem. He turns the entire thing upside down. The hierarchy, the generational wealth, the oppressive laws, the manipulative language, the access to blessings, the abuse of power, and the violence. And well, you see, it starts out okay. Is Kitty Young. Kitty, you're in the house today. Pay attention. She asked me about this the other day. The story of Jesus coming into the city, it's poignant. Jesus does something very audacious. He comes into Jerusalem, greeted as if he were a king, and take my word for it, the Roman Empire did not miss this gesture. As one retired pastor puts it, they were always on the lookout for people who might be seeking power because that was the game they played. In Rome, they played it hard. Well, there were eight gates in the city of Jerusalem, and folks from all over the, the region were pouring in through all of them to celebrate the festival of Passover. Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect of the region, had arrived through the west gate from the posh city of Caesarea. It took him about three days to get there. And there was no way the Roman imperials were going to allow 200,000 pilgrims to descend on Jerusalem without a show of power to keep things in order, to collect taxes from the temple, and to make sure folks knew who was in charge. Leather armor, metal weapons, banners and drums, and legions of soldiers and gold-dipped officers on regal horses. Just what we would expect. About the same time we see an alternative procession, another crowd forming, a crowd of hopeful and excited peasants. Jesus, the radical Jewish teacher from Galilee, comes through the West Gate riding a donkey from Bethany. His platform was one of reform and peace. He enters the West Gate. Of course, nobody really knew what they were doing, but they shout, and so we shout, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, shouts of joy and hope. He will show us a way out of this dismal life. Do you want to know what sort of king this is? Well, within 36 hours of his arrival, instead of making sacrifices in the temple, he turns the money changers upside down, to all those tables, for their corruption. And then he continuously challenges the teachings of the officials and the temple leaders. And every time the crowd grows larger and word spreads faster. And do you want to know what kind of power this is? It's the kind you can't ignore. It's the kind that reveals laziness and corruption. It's the kind of power that causes tension and threatens the status quo. It's the kind of power that creates hope and potential. It's the kind of power that transforms lives. But as preacher Fred Craddock once said, sooner or later, somebody is going to say to you, well, then what happened? And when you tell them the truth, that Jesus came to the city as a 33-year-old young idealist and stirred the city, and the city turned on him, and just like that put him on trial and executed him, some people are going to back away.
1: Can't we just
0: leave that part out? People aren't interested in a man who dies like that. It's terrible growth strategy for the church all that morbid suffering, bleeding, and dying. But that's what happened. That is the sort of king Jesus is, the kind we'd rather not talk about. Not only is it depressing and uncomfortable, but we're not very good at talking about failure or denial or suffering, and certainly not death, much less facing those things head on. But if you want to understand the power and the significance of who Jesus is, if you want to claim and celebrate the reign of Christ, it requires a journey back through the gates of Jerusalem, up the tattered hill, outside the city gates, front and center, facing three crosses, hearing the jeers, watching the hammer, smelling the vinegar, waiting, and doing Absolutely nothing about it. It is there at the cross where we come to know what, size, what, what type of king Jesus is. Sometimes folks ask why our cross doesn't have a suffering Jesus on it. In most Catholic churches, our siblings meditate on a crucifixion, and I do think they get this part of the narrative right. God's grace is not cheap, and it is good to be reminded of that. But in our Reformed tradition, we meditate on an empty cross. Yes, there are consequences for our mistakes and our sinfulness. All those things I've done, and all those things I've left undone, all those things I've said, and all those things I did not say, and all those things I said and did that I didn't even know, were harmful or hurtful because I was moving too fast or not paying attention or simply misunderstood or miscommunicated. Holy moly. Can you imagine how tall the mound would be if we laid it all right there, right now? Just mine alone from last week would hit the ceiling. But I'll tell you this, we are not defined by those things we can't change, or take back, or fix. Yes, we are required to acknowledge them, to pay attention to our own mistakes and our sinfulness, to pursue reconciliation. When we know better, we do better. This is why we can and we do turn to God with confidence every single week with the hope of coming clean and making a fresh start. But how is any of this even possible? How do we know these promises are true? How do we know God's activity in Christ is at the center of this entire business? And can we really trust it? Well, consider who or what rules your life on any given day. Consider who you pay your tribute to. How much money? How much time? How much loyalty? And commitment does it require? What are the rules and who makes them? Does this ruler demand joy and freedom and fairness and justice and peace and equity and grace for every single one of God's creation? And does he or she or they demand it at all cost? Would this ruler lay down their life for this sort of realm? It's true, I watched three hours of The Crown this week. And I suppose I read this story of the Bible about three times in a year. But neither Queen Elizabeth nor King Charles rule my heart nor my life. And I doubt they rule yours either. So what sort of king is this? Well, first of all, this king was crucified. He was targeted, scapegoated, tortured, humiliated, publicly executed. They nailed a sign above his head, Hail the King of the Jews. The entire event was as offensive and as nauseating as a 20th century lynching in the American South or a modern day public stoning in Afghanistan. So when you survey the wondrous cross, remember it is a murder weapon Number two, in real time, Jesus forgives every one witnessing and participating in his murder. Every single one. He forgave his siblings in the Jewish faith, his disciples and his friends. Some joined the mob for sport. Some watched silently, indifferent or paralyzed. Some ran away in fear. He forgave Pontius Pilate and Herod after finding no reason to prosecute him. They threw up their hands and sneered. He forgave the soldiers that taunted and mocked him. He forgave the criminal as they suffered in solidarity. And number three, I don't know if that criminal understood who Jesus truly was, but he was definitely on to something. And obviously the acknowledgement from a 'er ne'er-do-well scoundrel, a man rejected by humanity itself, was enough for Jesus to promise him eternal life and salvation on this spot. What sort of king is this? Forgive them. They do not know. There are two things about not knowing. Number one, not knowing is not an excuse. I mean the disciples had been following Jesus for three years and they still didn't get it. And number two, not knowing has major consequences. And yet, hanging on the cross, the Messiah, Emmanuel, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has only one thing on his mind. Of all the things he could have done or said or prayed about, he says, forgive them, for they do not know. How many times have you said, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. I wish I had known I could have helped. I wish I had known I could have gone earlier. I wish I had known I would have stopped. I wish I had known then what I know now. If only I had known how my words or my actions or my indifference or my convictions were damaging or hurtful or sinful. How many times have we assumed or misunderstood? How many times have we tightened our grip on our own hurt or our own self-righteousness instead of reaching out and offering space to learn a different truth or another perspective? They had it all figured out. Come on now, they taught. If you have power to save yourself, then do it. But he does not. He does not save himself. They do not know that Jesus was conquering violence through suffering on the cross. And as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, the best way to conquer violence is to unmask it, to show it for what it is. You see, suffering can be a very lonely business. But Jesus did not die so that we would avoid suffering. Jesus died alongside two criminals because we all fall short and we all suffer. Jesus died on the cross so that we would never be alone in our suffering. One of the only ways to overcome evil in suffering is to reveal it and name it. That is what AA is all about and Al-Anon and NA. If we are not alone in our suffering, it is in Christ where we find the courage and the power to claim our voice, to reach for help without shame in the face of abuse and violence and illness and addiction and depression and anxiety and loneliness or quite frankly, just how hard life can be when everything on the outside looks perfect but on the inside you are barely hanging on. You see, the story of the cross, this is the story that embodies all of our stories of failure and guilt and betrayal and apathy and hatred and shame. And Christ is the one ruler who transforms those stories from defining and condemning our souls and imprisoning our hearts to defining moments of change and hope, to experiences that shape a much bigger story, a much better story of redemption and freedom and love and grace. What sort of ruler is Jesus? They mocked, he showed mercy they taunted, he forgave. They condemned, he prayed. They showed ignorance, he showed fortitude. They humiliated, he welcomed. What wondrous love is this? Christ our King. Amen.
2: Let us pray. God, like Israelites in the wilderness, we too have known your love and experienced your care and provision. You invite us to extend that love to the world around us, to care for others as deeply as we care for ourselves. And so we bring the needs of our world before you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the many who do not have enough, enough food to eat or shelter to keep warm enough employment or money to pay their bills enough medicine or medical care lord hear our prayers we pray for those who have more than enough but who still struggle to find meaning and purpose in life who indulge in dangerous or self-serving activities to dull their pain to dull the loneliness Lord, we pray for those injured last night in Colorado Springs and the five precious lives that were lost by senseless violence. God, your grace reaches out to all of us. You call us to live as citizens of heaven, working together with one heart and one mind. Strengthen us to live in a manner worthy of the good news we have received offering our lives in sacrifice of your kingdom where the last are first and the first are last and there is grace enough for all lord hear us as we pray the prayer that your son taught us our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, God calls us to give out of our bounty, that all may have enough to live life without fear. And so with eager hearts, let us now give out of our abundance. God, you have looked upon your people with mercy and generosity and love. We offer these gifts for your hurting and broken world. May they be multiplied to do your service. May we be strengthened to do your work. In the name of Jesus the Christ, who multiplied small gifts and fed multitudes. Amen.
0: You are known, you are loved, you belong. Go in peace and serve him. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.